Um, okay. We can get started now. Oh, I want to bring up. And you have the blessing. The what? The blessing. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to. Yeah. I keep forgetting that my phone is used for the camera. So. Uh, <clears throat> Okay, so I'll say the blessing before we get started again with last week. I'll say the Hebrew and then the English. Barukata Adonai Eloheinu, Melech HaOlam Asher Kichanu, the Mitzvotah Vitzivanu La Asok Bidivrei Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai our God, sovereign of all, who hallows us with mitzvot, commanding us to engage with words of Torah. Actually, to, before I start with the content that I prepared, um, does anybody else have any um, interesting things that they learned or just even in general, just any epiphanies from lately or any questions about anything specific before we start? And then... Also, re reiterate that you want to welcome. Oh, yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, and and that that doesn't just have to be a right now thing either. It at any point, if anybody has any any additional comments or information or questions, I please feel free to say so because uh, it, there's a lot that I don't know or that I will have neglected to bring to this. Um, but I, I'm just trying to do my best to bring everything that I've learned and researched here. But um, there will obviously be a lot that I missed or even stuff that I get wrong a lot of times, especially in these first few chapters about the creation story. Because as I have learned lately, and I, I just heard from Leanne and Jim the other day that uh, the pre-flood world did not look really anything similar to the world we live in now. Um, and so I, I, I had to push through feelings of ineptness in order to start putting together information for this week because I had to get over the, the fact that I don't have any idea what it looked like then. Um, but I'll just bring what, I, what I've learned from scripture and uh, the resources that I I've been using like Torah class and then the Kumash that I talked about last week. Um, and so first we'll just start out, we'll, we'll just read through the whole chapter and then I'll talk about what information I got together for today. And I'll, I'm reading from the, the TLV, the Tree of Life version for this. So Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was chaos and waste, darkness was on the surface of the deep, and the Ruach Elohim was hovering on, upon the surface of the water. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, so God distinguished the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and he called the darkness night. So there was evening, and there was morning, one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the water. Let it be for separating water from water. So God made the expanse, and it separated the water that was below the expanse from the water that was over the expanse, and it happened so. God called the expanse sky. So there was evening, and there was morning, a second day. 
Then God said, let the water below the sky be gathered to one place. Let the dry ground appear. And it happened so. God called the dry ground land, and the collection of the water he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land sprout grass, green plants yielding seed, fruit trees making fruit, each according to its, to its species with seed in it upon the land. And it happened so. <clears throat> the land brought forth grass, green plants yielding seed, each according to its its species and trees making fruit with the seed in it each according to its species and god saw that it was good so there was evening and there was morning the third day then god said let lights in the expanse of the sky be for separating the day from the night they will be for signs and for seasons and for days and years they will be for lights in the expanse of the sky to shine upon the land and it happened so then god made the two great lights the greater light for dominion over the day and the lesser light as well as the stars for dominion over the night. God set them in the expanse of the sky to shine on land and to have dominion over the day and over the night and to separate the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. So there was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. Then God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures. Let flying creatures fly above the land across the expanse of the sky. Then God created the large sea creatures and every living creature that crawls, with which the water swarms according to their species, as well as every winged flying creature according to their species. And God saw that it was good. Then God blessed them by saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the water in the seas. Let the flying creatures multiply on the land. So there was evening and there was morning, a fifth day. <clears throat> then God said, Let the land bring forth living creatures according to their species, livestock, crawling creatures, and wild animals according to their species. And it happened so. God made the wild animals according to their species, the livestock according to their species, and everything that crawls on the ground, each according to its species. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our, in our image, after our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the flying creatures of the sky, over the livestock, over the whole earth, and over every crawling creature that crawls on the land. God created humankind in his image, in the image of God who created him, male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the land and conquer it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the flying creatures of the sky, and over every animal that crawls on the land. Then God said, I have just given you every green plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the whole land, and every tree which has, which has the fruit of a tree yielding seed. They are to be food for you. Also for every wild animal, every flying creature of the sky, and every creature that crawls on land which has life, every green plant is to be food. And it happened so. So God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Um, so as we mentioned last week, um, one thing that's important to know before going into Genesis is that Genesis... Uh, primarily is the story of the genesis of israel and not not it does, there is not a lot of focus there's only two chapters really devoted to the creation of the rest of the universe in general um and so we don't really have a lot of detail that went into it i think it's partly part of i think part of the reason why we don't have a lot of details also um the fact that it looked the pre-flood world looked way different than it does today in a lot of ways that I don't even understand yet. Um, and um, 
I, I so with that in mind, I don't want to spend a ton of time explaining creation theories, but I'll just run through the basic ones. Um, and I'll, I'll just skim through them really quickly. There's, there's, there's two basic categories of creation theories. One, the, the first one is the old earth creation theories, which, um, which say that the big bang evolution and all the other scientific origin theories of the universe all took place. And that the, the days mentioned in Genesis one are actually just, uh, allegorical or metaphor and they were actually billions and billions of years um i i don't know what happened so i'm i am not going to completely throw anything out um i that i actually used to think the old earth way um before i actually began studying but i i i don't think at least evolution is reconcilable with the rest of scripture but then again i'm not i'm not completely throwing it out saying god could not have used evolution or any any other scientific method of creating the universe um but my the theory that i hold right now is just just a theory and if i get to heaven and i see i'm wrong uh then whatever it's not i'm not going to be hurt by it um but one thing one thing that's important i think to know is that evolution is not as ironclad and absolute fact as we think it is or that at least that we're taught it is and if you want more details on some of the some of the big flaws in evolutionary theory um look up or some other time ask or at the end of this if you want ask about or look up irreducible complexity that is a concept and look up the Cambrian explosion. Those two will give you <coughs> some good information about uh, how evolution is not necessarily some, some law of the universe as we're typically taught. Um, then the other major category of creation theory is the young earth creation theory, which uh, posits that the days in the creation story are literal 24-hour days and that the earth as we know it is just short of 6,000 years old as um, we can know from scripture. Um, and that's the one that I, that's the one that I hold to generally right now. Um, there's another theory that sort of falls under the old earth ones. It's called gap theory. And it essentially says that uh, there's an unspecified time gap in between verse one and two, where one hour could have passed, or as is um, explained by scientific theories, close to 14 billion years could have passed. Um, I think that's possible. I'm not sure if verses one and two are supposed to be seen as together or if there is supposed to be a pause in between the two i'm i'm not sure about that so I, i'm not going to say absolutely yes or no there is a gap um and then my current theory which uh and my mom sparred a little bit over yesterday uh which I, it's probably wrong but it is the best i've come up with so far is that god made the universe within the literal uh, seven day creation. The earth is about a little under 6,000 years old, but 
he made the universe with a history that never actually happened. And uh, I still don't even really understand my own idea that much yet, but uh, I think instead of creating the earth with just barren dirt all the way down to the center of the earth, I think he put fossils, he put all these other things in there uh, for us to discover and research and uh, learn about. And I think he, the light, <clears throat> the, the light from stars that are 14 billion light years away and theoretically then have had to have existed for 14 billion years in order for their light to reach us. Um, I think he, I think it's possible he made that light already in transit, sort of, sort of like an improv skit where you set everything up and then you jump in as if there was a whole history behind it. I'm saying though, that until the sun was created, <clears throat> there was, there's no measure of time because our current measure of time is based upon day and night. So yeah. until there's no, I just can't yeah, see but, time, but time, yeah. time still passed, it just didn't have a name. So it didn't have, it didn't have, like time passed, it just didn't have a measure. Right. But without a measure, you could have a theoretical billions of years, billions of years, because there's no sun to say it's a day, night, whatever. <clears throat> so billions of years could have passed until the sun was created on the what, third, mm -hmm. third, fourth day. <clears throat> so until that, until those were there, we didn't have a measure of time. Time but, existed, but without a measure. But the sun was made before the animals. Right. So that, that's a problem with fossils, but maybe not a star. But it is this problem because the stars were created after that as well. Yes. And we'll, we'll get into the whole light star. <laughs> Basically, we don't know. None of us know. Yeah, essentially, <laughs> none of us know. Um, and I don't think it's safe to hang your hat on any one theory no. and and preach the others into the ground. And I don't know that our faith in God is dependent upon. Yeah, we, we don't, we don't, if, <clears throat> if we know exactly how it happened, then there's no room for faith. So, um, and it's also just, it's not, God doesn't care to explain himself with it. Um, and then going out of the creation theories now, the first thing that I want to talk about is the you you might have heard me say it um at the very very beginning of the reading but the term ruach elohim um and then that sheet you guys can look at it and then can you guys read that on zoom you can just get a thumbs up if you can Okay. Um, so the term Ruach Elohim is translated typically into the spirit of God. And so uh, usually what you see is uh, the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Um, and I honestly don't know yet if the spirit of 
God and the Holy Spirit are the same thing, but the, the, the terms in the original Hebrew, at least, are two different things. The term here that we see uh, is Ruach Elohim, and the, the usual term when, uh, when we see Holy Spirit is Ruach Hakodesh. Um, so they're, they're two different things. I'm not sure if they're the same exact thing or not, um, but I, I would assume that they are, at least at the moment. Um, and so first, starting with the word Ruach, um, Ruach most basically translates to breath or wind. Um, and so what's being referenced here is, uh, in a sense, literally the breath of God. And so uh, Ruach Elohim, breath or wind of God. Um, <clears throat> and when you see when you see the term Holy Spirit, it most basically translates to uh, like the the holy breath or the holy wind. Um, and it's the same thing when it talks about our breath. When it talks, uh, when it talks, I think in chapter two, maybe chapter one, um, about God breathing the breath of life into the nostrils of man. The, this, the word that's used there is ruach. Um, and ruach, when it's alone, is typically translated into spirit, as, as we saw, um, was ruach elohim. So um, I, I just think that's interesting that that um the term ruach uh is breath or wind so when god breathes it into our 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 body he's he's breathing in the ruach which is the same word used in ruach hakodesh or holy spirit um and another interesting oh uh, one other thing about the ruach is um it's the same wind that we'll see at different points in scripture, but one specifically that we'll see soon is that the Ruach um, that's typically translated to wind in this specific spot is what brings the floodwaters in, in scripture. And so we'll see here in just a couple of weeks uh, when it's describing uh, the flood and what, and the water's coming in from the flood, it'll say the Ruach brought in the floodwaters. Um, and then getting to the term Elohim, then th this term is a bit strange here. Um, and it, it, the, the, the original Hebrew stops using Elohim uh, as often or as explicitly as it uses it in chapter one, just starting with chapter two. Um, and the reason Elohim is so strange here is because Elohim is the plural of the form or the plural form of the generic name for God um, or, or for a God and so Elohim isn't um, isn't necessarily God's name it's more of a title for it can translate to God or gods just in general um, and just as a just as a thing that you can remember, anytime a Hebrew word ends in im or ot, it's plural. Um, and so, for examples, uh, Kohen is priest, Kohenim is priest, um, mitzvah is commandment, mitzvot is commandments. Um, so that's just something that you can remember. Um, and so that it's it's kind of strange that it's using the both the generic 
title of God to give to our God, um, but it's also the plural one. And but in Hebrew, uh, plural doesn't always indicate multiple. Um, there's there's something in Hebrew called the plural of majesty, which uh, in certain cases a, a plural title or noun in Hebrew is applied to a singular thing to to denote greatness or honor onto them. Um, and, and another thing that's important about the term Elohim is that it denotes God and his attribute of justice. We'll, we'll, we'll look at different names of God throughout the study. Um, and they all have different meanings and different, different specific intentions within their context. Um, <clears throat> so now, now getting into the first day of creation. Uh, on the first day, God creates and separates light and darkness. Um, and this is, this is also a bit strange because God created light prior to creating any light emitting objects, which takes place on the fourth day of creation. Um, and so that's, that's, so it's a bit weird to think that he created light before creating lights in a sense. Um, and what, what's also interesting is that he actually created darkness he created the absence of light it's not it wasn't at least at one point uh just the absence of light and well you can see in isaiah 45 7 um it says something along the lines of god who or uh, adonai who formed the light and created the darkness and the word for created there is a saw which doesn't necessarily mean just bring about it means craft I mean, create and so the darkness at one um the idea is that darkness at one point was a created object that was at one point mixed with light in some sort of way um and that god eventually separated them at some point and then uh getting more into the issue of creating light before creating lights uh the hebrew word the hebrew words for and that's the the Hebrew words for light and darkness are or and hoshek. And or generally translates to illumination or light. And then hoshek translates to uh, darkness or obscurity. Um, and so it, it carries with it the physical sense, but it's also partly a in a spiritual sense this this illumination and obscurity that god created um and i i think it's likely that this illumination that god created on the first day even though it had no stars or light bulbs or anything to produce it uh it's likely the same light that we're going to see later mentioned in revelation 22 5 and then isaiah 60 19 uh, referencing the end of days where uh, at the end times when the earth is done away with there won't be there will not be any light emitting objects anymore because God himself will provide the light for everything in existence and so I, I think it's possible that the same light that was on this first day before it had illuminators is uh, the same God origin light that we're going to see at the very 
end of days. Um, and after he creates the light and darkness, it says that God saw that it was good. And this, this is something that we'll see throughout the rest of creation as well. And when this, when this term is used, it means that the process of creation for that specific thing has been completed and it's, it, it's now finished off. Um, and so with the light being good, it's set apart from the darkness and it's given God's approval. Um, and as an example of uh, it being good, meaning it being complete, uh, we'll see, we'll, we see that the waters on the earth existed for a long time before uh, their, before God started working with them. Um, and he didn't call the waters good until the third day when their final form was complete, even though they existed all along before. Um, and so when you see it was good, that means God, God has completed it. His work with it is done. Um, and then another, another thing that's interesting is that um, in the original Hebrew, the first day isn't called the first day. It's actually called the one day, uh, which is pretty interesting. And the, the thought is that it's not called the first day and it's called the one day because uh, this, this first day was the last day that God was the only spiritual being in existence. And the reason for that is because it's, it has, it's been passed down uh, through the, uh, the oral Torah and the sages and rabbis that uh, the angels and the other spiritual beings weren't created until day two, when God separated the, the waters uh, below and above. Um, so the idea behind this being one day, not the first day, is that, um, yes, it is day one of creation, but it's also the, the day of one, day of one spiritual being, um, being God. Um, and then on day two, and I think that'll be the next sheet. It's just the top word on there right now. I, I don't really know what this means yet, if it means anything at all. But I was I was reading through the uh, the interlinear translation with the original Hebrew in it. And on day two, the sky is created and the sky is the expanse between the two waters. So the, the water below and the clouds above. And that the same word uh, Shemayim is used in this in this section for sky as well as in verse one for heavens. And so um, I don't know when I when I read when I read the typical English translations the the idea I get is that they're two separate things, but it's it's the same word that God is using for sky as He is for heavens in for in verse one. So I I don't. Again, I don't know what that means yet. I just found that and figured I would include it because it, it's not what I typically think of when I read it. Um, you just, just take a minute and ask people if they have any questions or comments. Oh, yeah. This yeah. is a lot. Yeah. Um, does anybody have any questions or comments so far? Oh, yeah. You can also use the chat box feature if you don't want to turn your microphone on on Zoom. 
I was noticing on the uh, light, when you mentioned that everything, that light and dark were mixed together and then separated, if or and Hosek are both, if or has a physical and a spiritual connotation to it, and Hosek has a physical and a spiritual connotation to it, then what does that mean spiritually that those were mixed together and then separated? And I don't know the answer to that. But... <clears throat> I think it might be... Yeah, I think it would be he separated them to form illumination and obscurity. Yeah, I think that I think that actually makes sense with what one of the things that we're gonna talk about down the road. That's um, that is pretty difficult. Is that uh, both? I I want to be careful with my words. Both good and evil. Uh, originate from God in a way. I it, I don't want to yeah I'm trying I'm trying to be careful with my words but but um because the good and evil are simply just whatever God says they are. And so I think I think that actually makes sense with the illumination and darkness thing because illumination um, and obscurity. Or yeah ill illumination and obscurity because they could <clears throat> they could have just been mixed together at first until God declares parts of them to be separate from the other ones because mm -hmm. that's that's all good and evil is is whatever good is just whatever God says uh is good and evil is just whatever God says is evil um I mean you have to distinguish between it you can't say like something's good and then mm -hmm. what are you comparing that to yeah you know because I know that in the Torah class one he talks about how he makes opposites for stuff you have to have one you can't just have light because then what light distinguishes yeah. what distinguishes light from any other thing you have to have darkness to distinguish light mm -hmm. but it's yeah. interesting that it, it would if that's the case then they would have been one to begin with mm -hmm. but another thing this this you if you listen to the tour class podcast you're going to hear tom bradford say this uh just about every other episode but one of one of the fundamental God principles that we're going to see throughout uh, this study is that something God does a lot throughout the Torah and the whole the whole Bible is He divides, He elects, and He separates. He He distinguishes certain things, certain uh, places, certain people from others for His own purposes, and He sets He sets certain ones apart uh, for. Well, all, all still for his purposes, but he, he sets oh, oh. Um, he sets people to, um, I guess, serve him, and he sets people as the, the adversaries in this in this big story that he is writing right now. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I still don't even understand all of the like the mixing and separating between I don't I don't even understand the whole concept of the or and Hoshek yet. Mm -hmm. Um but I think yeah I, th I think it's I think there is a physical and spiritual sense to those words. And so he he created light on and darkness on the first day, but he also created distinguished between illumination and obscurity in a spiritual sense. Does anybody else have comments or questions about what we've been talking about about this part.
Um, so actually, similarly to what we just talked about, uh, the, the verse about the sky and heavens and the waters being separated, that can also and is in Judaism at least taken in a spiritual sense as well as a physical sense. While, um, while God did separate the, the waters on the earth from the, the heavens above and created the atmosphere that surrounds the earth, um, it's, it's also typically taken in a spiritual fashion as well, um, where a division between the natural and supernatural realms are created. Um, and so one, one of the things that was a bit cryptic in the, the Kumash in my reading was that uh, this day has a lot of obscurity around it. And I don't, I don't know much about this day because, they, and this is quoting the Kumash, those who understand the explanation about this day are forbidden to reveal it. Um, and the mysteries of this day are either unknowable to man or limited to those qualified to know them. So apparently there have been people throughout history who have understood the, the intricacies of day two of creation, but uh, we wouldn't know it because they can't say anything about it. So um, I just thought that was interesting too. And then on day three, the ground is distinguished and separated from uh, the bodies of water and the ground is populated with plant life. And one thing that's important to know going into the Bible just in general is that plants and some microorganisms are biblically not considered living things. Uh, animals and humans are living beings because uh, there's, there's two primary reasons for that. First one is because we have blood. Uh, which you'll, you will see all throughout the Torah that um, when, when the, there's a restriction to not eating a creature's blood, and the, the reason behind that is always uh, you don't eat blood because life is in the blood. Um, and you can see that in Leviticus 17.11, for example. Uh, and the second reason we're, we and animals are alive is because we have a, in Hebrew, nefesh, or as it's typically translated into English, a soul, um, which doesn't mean how we normally translate soul, I don't think, or how we normally think of soul, I don't think. Uh, the, I think, I, I don't understand Nefesh that much. It's a huge concept, but I think it mostly refers to the mind and uh, thought, and at least uh, for animals on a very low level, some form of rationality and thinking. Um, and so there, there's kind of a hierarchy with plants and all of the other things on this earth, not having a nefesh or blood or any life. Uh, all living creatures have a nefesh and then human beings we'll see are described as having a ruach, which animals and everything else don't have. Um, as, we, as we saw earlier, ruach is usually translated as spirits. So um, plants, everything else, nothing, animals and a fesh or, or animals and humans and a fesh or soul, and then humans only as spirits. Um, and that in Job 12.10, you can see that it says the uh, fesh of every living creature and ruach of every human being. Um, and then would you be able to hold up that sheet again? Mm -hmm. So 
another interesting thing is in verse 10, the name for earth that God gives it is Eretz, uh, which it's it's typically thought that the name Eretz is taken from the Hebrew word Rotsi, uh, which translates to, to desire. Um, and so the idea behind that is that the earth began as just this, this little rock and it desired to expand and accomplish God's will. Or alternatively, the earth began as this, this little rock and, uh, and did God's desire. So um, that, that's just, that's another interesting bit that I read in the Kumash. Um, and then another detail about the growth of plants and everything is that on day three, it says that these, these plants that God filled the earth with started to grow. And that seemingly contradicts uh, verse 2-5, uh, in which Adam first begins to grow plants. And it says that uh, the plants began to grow once Adam started to tend to them. Um, and so it is typically thought that what happened on day three wasn't that the plants actually grew to maturity, but they, uh, God simply sowed the seeds in the ground and grew them until they reached the surface of the ground, but they didn't break the surface of the ground until Adam uh, prayed for and tended to them himself. And uh, I, I was discussing with my mom yesterday that brings another issue into it, which is uh, if, if Adam had to, had to raise the plants, then what did he eat before that? Um, because if he, if he didn't eat the plants, then there was, there, there would have been no physical food for him because at that time they couldn't eat animals either. Um, and so I, I don't know the answer to it, but what, what we came up with was the, the whole idea of, uh, man doesn't survive on bread alone, but um, by the word of God. Um, so I don't know. I don't know exactly what Adam ate, but it's just another one of those issues that God doesn't take uh, a ton of time to try and explain to us. Um, and then, so those, those are the first three days, and now we're getting into days four to six. And days four to six mirror the first three days in that what was created or separated during the first three days is now being filled or um, I guess put to use in a way on days four to six. Um, and so what you see is, is that day, day one, you have uh, light is created and separated from darkness. And day four, the day that corresponds to it, the, the lights are created or the stars and luminaries. Um, day two, the sky is separated from the water. And then day five, the birds and fish are made to fill those two things. And then day three, the land is uh, brought above the water. And then day six, the land creatures are created to fill the earth. Um, and so what is interesting about this then is that day seven, uh, the Shabbat or the Sabbath, doesn't have a mate like that. <clears throat> and um, the Kumash actually goes into detail on that, and it's been passed down uh, a story <clears throat> about the Shabbat uh, in some personified way going to God and 
protesting that all of the other days of creation have uh, a mate, but the Shabbat is left without a mate. And God responds to the Shabbat, and he com- and he uh, he says that uh, the Shabbat will indeed be given a mate, and its mate will be Israel and the Jewish people, because they will accept the commandment to observe it and to hold it here. Um, and I I'm, I don't know if that's if that is a a literal story uh, where um, the Shabbat is actually a entity that talks to God or if that is um, allegory to get across the idea that um, the the Jewish people and the Shabbat would be uh, wed together in a way um, but that's that's just still interesting nonetheless and on day four God creates the stars and the luminaries in the skies <clears throat> um, and so as we already mentioned on day one, God created light, and on day four, he created lights. Uh, and the Hebrew word here for lights, as opposed to or, in verse three, is ma'or, or marot, if it's plural. Um, and so he, he is giving, he's giving physical objects to, to cast what he, or the light that he created on the, on the first day. And on day five, God populates the sky and sea with living creatures. And a couple things that are unique in his creating of sea creatures is that God says, let the waters teem. And he also blesses the sea creatures and he commands them to be fruitful and multiply. And uh, the, uh, this, this is due to the fact that man will end up hunting later on in the future, uh, not at the moment of creation. Uh, but man will hunt down such large numbers of the fish and the sea creatures for food, so they need they needed they need an extra extra hefty commandment and blessing in order for them to to be able to withstand uh, the the hunting that will occur eventually. Um, and then on day six, we get to the the capstone in a way of God's creation and. On day six, he creates all the land animals as well as mankind. And um, for the land animals, God says, uh, bring forth, as he used with uh, all, all the other things so far. He says, he says, let the earth bring forth the land animals. Um, and so what's suggested here is that God was bringing forth something that was previously dormant or concealed and so the idea is that um it was on the first day that the potential for everything was created and so on day six it was only necessary to bring them forth out of their out of their dormant state i guess and uh god says that the animal creation is good signaling that their creation and development is complete and that no further development is needed um, but he says that specifically about the animal creation. He doesn't say that specifically about mankind um, because uh, the idea is that man's creation is never complete and we will always strive to better ourselves and our world. And so our our statement is not explicitly followed by a, a statement of uh, and it, mankind is good. Um, 
And then another important detail about this is that in creating mankind, God says, let us make man rather than just let the earth bring forth, indicating that uh, mankind wasn't just wasn't just uh, <clears throat> created with an utterance like all the other things. It, mankind was created almost as if by God's own hands with the utmost deliberation and wisdom involved. And then another Another detail that you might have picked up on there is God says, let us, um, which I think typically in Christianity, the way that this verse is interpreted is that uh, God, God's saying, let us, as in let us, all parts of the Trinity. Um, but in, in, the, in the other ways that it's interpreted, it's thought that he was saying, uh, or in, in the way that the Kumash does, it's it's thought that God is saying, let us, referring to the angels that he created on day two. Um, not that God needed help from angels, but he was trying to get across to mankind the idea that uh, we should always seek counsel before embarking on a, a huge, important endeavor. Um, and so God, God then creates mankind in his image and likeness. And that's something that doesn't necessarily have to do with a physical image, but it, it rather has to do with the intelligence and morality and the reason we all have. And man's creation is unique, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, because man was brought, wasn't brought into being just with an utterance, but he was, he was crafted as if by God's own hand. And then we get to the male and female statement. Uh, although Eve was created later than Adam, she was created on the same day as Adam. And that's, that's another uh, important thing that we're going to see all throughout our study is that uh, the, the Torah is not always written chronologically. The, the Torah, a lot of times will write about one, one <coughs> sequence of events or one person up until its completion and then it'll write about the next thing but that that next thing could have and in a lot of cases it does begin its process in the middle of the previous one and so we'll see this a lot with uh when we get into abraham isaac and jacob uh we'll read well i i, I think we'll read that they'll read about abraham's whole life to completion and then it'll pick up with isaac but Abraham was actually alive, I think, all the way until after Joseph was sold into slavery. But I would need to check on that. I think he was alive all the way until after that. So just, just because the, the Bible or the Torah is written uh, with this chunk here and this chunk here doesn't necessarily mean it happened exactly in that order. Uh, so that, that's just something important to know going into the future. So, so Adam and Eve were both created on the same day. Eve was created later than Adam, though. Um, and the reason that every, every animal was created, uh, male and female, as we know, but the reason it's emphasized here uh, is because it's stressed for humans specifically that both sexes are created in God's likeness and his image. Um, and then 
uh, I think I mentioned it before, but initially mankind was not allowed to eat other living creatures for food. Um, so we, we were, as much as it pains me to say, because I like my McDonald's burgers, uh, we were originally created vegetarian. Um, it, it's not until after the, the flood that Noah and his children are given explicit permission to begin eating other living creatures. Um, and at this time, you, it's not, I, I, I think I read that people did, some people did eat animals then, uh, but for the most part, eating animals would have, in Tom Bradford's words, been like eating a shoe. Like it, it's, or telling somebody to eat an animal would have been like eating, a sh telling someone to eat a shoe. It just, it simply just wasn't seen as food back then. Um, and then kind of getting to the end of chapter one, uh, at the end of day six, God, God finishes with his creation. He concludes that it's all very good. Uh, and something important about the, the difference between something being good and very good, uh, as explained in the Kumash, and I'll actually read right out of the Kumash um, here in a second, because I, I just love the way that it phrases it. Um, everything at this point was fit for its purpose and the initial process of creation is now complete. Um, and so the, the difference between something good and everything as a whole being very good, something can be good in isolation, but not necessarily when combined with other things. But when we, when we refer to God's works, uh, God's works are both good in isolation and grouped together. Um, and so even, even things that seem to be evil, uh, such as suffering and death and poverty and everything bad in the world appear only that way when in isolation. But in the grand scheme of things with what God's doing, everything, everything is very good as a whole, even though it may not seem so uh, on, a, on a small scale. And so now I'll just, I'll just read this part right out of the Kumash. <clears throat> because I, I think they explain it very well. And this is an idea that we've been talking about a lot just between us recently, uh, the idea of uh, suffering and evil. Um, and so in reference to the very good statement, everything was fit for its purpose and able to act accordingly. The Torah declares that creation in its entirety was not only good as the individual components were described above, but it was very good. Um, as the Vilna Gaon explains, something may be good in isolation, but not when it is combined with other things. God's works, however, are good in themselves and also with others. Meshech Chokmah goes further. The components of creation are even better in combination than they are individually. Even things that seem to be evil, such as suffering, death, and temptation, appear to be so only when viewed in isolation. But in the total context of existence, they can be seen as good, even very good. If we could but perceive at one glance the entire picture of God's management of intertwining events, we would agree with this verdict. Um, and that's, that is, as I said, something that we just among us have been talking about a lot recently, the idea that uh, uh, the, the, the question of the, the problem of evil, that 
theologians have struggled with for as long as theology has been a thing. How how can we have a a an all loving God but still have evil in the world? And that's because we uh, we we are living only in a tiny piece of the entire picture that God has created. And so uh, even though it might not seem like it on the surface with some of the things we encounter and endure in life, uh, put together all 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 things, even uh, even the not evil itself, but the 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 present yeah <clears throat> presence and use of evil in this world can be seen as good or very good. Um, and so I, that I I just I love the way that the Kamash puts it there. There's there's something else that I was going to read out of Kumash. I think I think you said something about it earlier, but I don't remember what it is. I think we were just talking about that passage. Oh, okay. Um, and that's that's everything that I have planned for today. We with with that statement of creation ending and being very good. Uh, we end chapter one. We'll get into chapter two next time. So. Um, does anybody have any comments or questions or anything that they want to add or correct me on? Because I I would feel bad giving extremely obviously incorrect information. I thought something while we were discussing the food thing, like what were they eating? And when you said that about Jesus's uh, statement of man does not live by bread alone it reminded me that he only he basically repeated torah mm -hmm. so that made me look and see where it existed in torah which is in deuteronomy 8 3 and that says he afflicted you and let you hunger whether you would observe his commandments or not oh wait he afflicted you and let you hunger then he fed you the manna that you did not know nor did your forefathers know in order to make you know that not by bread alone does man live rather by everything that emanates from the mouth of God does he does man live so that you know maybe whatever emanated from the mouth of God is what sustained him until the vegetation grew yeah just like uh the light from God sustained the universe in general before he actually created the lights themselves. Mm -hmm. it, yeah, it, I don't know. Or maybe he fed them man. That's possible. That's, I wondered that as well. Maybe know. manna didn't just appear out of nowhere for the first time in Exodus. <clears throat> I wish we could just know the answer. But then we wouldn't struggle. Yeah, then we wouldn't wrestle. Does anybody else have anything before we conclude for the night? Okay, I think we can finish up for the night. And next week, I think we'll probably do Saturday at six again. At least for now, I think I think we'll probably make Saturdays at six, our regular meeting time. Um, so, 
yes, I'll I'll upload the recording for this later on. And another thing is I, I also put the my notes that I'm using for each session as well as the, the PowerPoint slides that I'm holding up. I put those on the resources document uh, in the Google Drive. And so if you go into the Google Drive and you and you want to refer back to um, any of the verses or information that I said, um, there's there's documents in there with all the information uh, that I that I'm using or referring to. What chapter of Deuteronomy is that one? Eight, eight, three. eight, eight three. Oh yeah, that's that's another thing. We um we we went a little fast on citing where the verses and everything were at last time. So um if if we say it too fast some other time, uh and you you can feel free to ask us to repeat where it's at again if you want, um, but all the verses that I'll be citing are also on the doc, on the outline and notes documents that I just uploaded on there. So Matthew 4, 4 and Deuteronomy 8, 3 in the food, the manna or the, the uh, vegetation, vegetation portion. Mm -hmm. Oh. What was it Deuteronomy? It's Matthew 4 4. Jesus makes that statement, which is a statement of Torah, which is from Deuteronomy 8 3. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 8 3. Okay. I added that those to the document too. So if you want to go back and later on read those, you can see those too. But uh, yeah, I think we can finish up for the night. So thank you all for joining again. And um, I, I hope we'll see you next weekend too. See you everybody.